As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner. Tonight I'm here with Joel Renner, Maxime Mesnikov, and Denise Renner. Hey, sweetie. Hi, Rick. Welcome, Home Group. Are you enjoying these Home Groups? I am loving them, and we so appreciate you being with us. Hey, Maxime. I'm excited to be here. Christmas is a very exciting time, and it's it's kind of cool. We can celebrate it twice living here in Moscow, Russia. What does that mean? Oh. <laughs> we have two Christmases. That's because the Western world celebrates Christmas on December 25th, and the Eastern world celebrates Christmas on January 7th. January 7th. So we have two Christmases every year. And it's, I like it. That's good. Hey, Joel. Well, <laughs> good to be with you guys. And I want to say thank you for joining us. But I have a question. Why do we celebrate two Christmases? Why do we have an Eastern and a Western Christmas? Well, that's because the calendar changed. There was the Julian calendar. There was the Gregorian calendar. And the Western world moved to another one while the Eastern Orthodox Church stayed on the old one. And so they ended up on two different religious calendars. They don't have two secular calendars, but two different religious calendars. And the Eastern Orthodox Church stuck with the old calendar when the Western world moved to a new calendar. And that's why we have two. May I say something? Sure. Uh, I'm Russian. I, have, if, I think I have the right to say it. Our wonderful Russian Orthodox Church does not want to agree to this uh, Gregorian calendar because it was invented by or by the order of the Roman Pope, whose name was Gregory. And they're saying, we're not going to accept something that came from Catholics. But the truth is, the January 7th date is the oldest date. Right. Anyway, that's why they celebrate Christmas on January 7th in Russia. But guess what? Most people don't celebrate Christmas in Russia. Most people celebrate New Year's because Christmas was canceled. It was canceled. I believe it was canceled in 1926 or 1927 officially. That was the last year that a Christmas tree was ever decorated in the Kremlin. It was removed and everything shifted January 1st. And so in Russia and in the Soviet Union, you had what looked like Christmas, but it wasn't. The tree became New Year's trees. The lights were New Year's lights. There was not Santa Claus, but there was Father Frost. That's a totally new creation. It has nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever. In fact, it has everything to do with witchcraft. True. These were all substitutions for Christmas because people had been accustomed to Christmas, but Christmas was canceled, so they just changed everything. And that's what you need to know about Marxism and socialism. It just creates lots of substitutes. It's just, it's fake. It doesn't work. Denise? Well, well, I know that before the revolution, they did celebrate Christmas. They did celebrate Christmas. You know what I'm remembering, Denise? When we first started our ministry in this part of the world, we had a staff meeting, and I told that we were going to celebrate Christmas, and we had two staff members who looked at me and said, what is that? They were 26 and 27 years old. They said, well, what is that? We don't know what that is. They had never heard of Christmas. Imagine a world where you've never heard of Christmas. And just a couple years ago, I mean, just maybe a few years ago, we were having a big event at Christmas to evangelize. 
where we had a whole nativity scene and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children came. It was a big play. Oh, it was a big play. It was marvelous, beautiful. And I was standing out on the stairs greeting people as they left. And a man that I'd never seen before with his children walked by me and stopped and said, Sir, can you please tell me what fairy tale was that? I've never, we know Pushkin, but I've never heard the fairy tale that we saw today. He had never heard anything about the story of Christmas. So what an opportunity for us living in Russia that we can share the good news of Jesus' birth with a world that does not know that story. In fact, let's just jump right to what we're going to talk about tonight. Are you ready? And I call tonight, what is a manger and what are swaddling clothes? Well, Denise, we grew up in our minds with a picture of Mary and Joseph in a barn. And of course, we thought it was just a little shed. And in that little shed, we see the shepherds, the wise men, the animals, the angels, the star, all of it. You know why? Because that's what you can put on the front of a greeting card. So people who make greeting cards put everything on the front of the cover. That is not the way that it took place. And Jesus was not born in a barn. He was not. And Jesus was never laid in a little wooden manger. He never was laid in anything like that. They didn't even have anything like that. Then what is a manger and what are swaddling clothes? Well, I'm going to tell you. You guys Well, ready? you got you to gotta say that what he was born in. You, you said he wasn't born in a barn. He wasn't born in a barn. We're going to show you tonight where he was born. <coughs> All right. In Jerusalem, I'm sorry, in Bethlehem today, there is a very sacred site called the Church of the Holy Nativity. The first church built there was built in the year 326 because Helena, who was the mother of Constantine, came to Israel. She interviewed people to find out where all these events took place. And the 300s, you could still meet people who knew. I mean, their relatives were there. They all remembered these events. And they identified the place where Jesus was born. And Jesus was not born in a barn. He was born in a cave. And if you go to the church of the Holy Nativity, you can go down a set of steps into the very, 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 very bottom. And there is a cave that is called the Grotto. And that really is where Jesus was born. I have no reason to doubt it because it is affirmed by so many early historical writers who said that a small cave that normally would have been used by shepherds is the place where this event took place. And the Bible tells us in Luke 2, 7 that in that cave, in that place, Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. But hey, let's back up just a little bit. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, where Luke, by the way, who is a doctor, Mm -hmm. he's a great historical writer. He knows how to authenticate and verify everything. He tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world (coughs) should be taxed. The word decree, decree, is the word dogma, It describes a public decree which was issued by the Roman Senate. And when such a decree was issued, it was to be obeyed, no questions asked. And the Bible says the decree was sent into the whole world. The whole world does not mean America, does not mean Asia. The whole world here describes the civilized Roman world. So this was a decree that went to the entire Roman world. And what was the decree? that they should all be 
taxed. The word taxed really means to be enrolled. It was a word used to describe an empire-wide census to determine the population of the empire and to determine the possible tax revenue and budget of the governor. It was a census of the population and such census were done very rarely because it required such enormous manpower to do it. And the Bible says it happened during the time of Caesar Augustus, and this is a reference to Octavian. He succeeded, he succeeded Julius Caesar and was responsible for the deaths of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. He was a historical figure. He was a very dear friend of Herod the Great. So all these figures are connected at that time. But the Bible says this taxing, Luke 2, 2, was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Well, some scholars say, well, when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, there was no taxation, and they missed the fact that he was governor twice. He was governor twice. And during one of those times, this decree went forth that the whole Roman Empire needed to be counted. And suddenly, the whole empire was on the move. In fact, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 3, and all went to be taxed or to be counted, everyone to his own city. The word all, the Greek word pantes, it means everyone, all, no one excluded. In fact, it says everyone. Everyone, the Greek word hekestos, which means everyone, it is all-inclusive. It means everyone in the entire Roman Empire was on the move suddenly. Now I want you to imagine what this looked like and the great inconvenience that this caused the whole world. People had to close their shops. They had to spend money to travel that they were not planning to spend. They had to travel long, long distances. I cannot imagine the parents that were griping because they had to take their kids out of school, people who were upset because they were going to lose business, and suddenly the whole world had a forced vacation. And they're all in movement to get back to where they came from because it is the decree of Octavian during the governorship of Cyrenius that everyone go back to their original hometowns to take part in the census and to be identified with the place of their lineage. Why was this taking place? Because 730 years earlier, the prophet Micah predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Well, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth, which was also a prophecy that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. But for him to be born, he had to be in Bethlehem. There was no reason for them to go to Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem was not very interesting. It was just a little dot on the map, just outside of Jerusalem, not much to the city of Bethlehem. Who would want to go there? And there wouldn't even be many places to stay there, which is why there was no room for them in the end. It's not because they were poor. It's because there weren't many places to stay there. When they finally did get there, the rooms were all taken by other people who were traveling to the city because they were required to be there as a part of the census. By the time they got there, there were no more rooms left. It had nothing to do with their financial status. There just wasn't any space left for them. And that's why they began to look for a place to go. And that's why Jesus was born in a cave. It's the only thing they could find. Denise? I'm just thinking how God is in control. 
how he's over all the situations that he can just manipulate and, you know, put in this, <clears throat> put in this ruler. I'm going to have a census and I'm going to cause everybody to go their hometowns. And God, he, and he doesn't even know that God is leading him to do that. And think about it. God was willing to inconvenience the whole world just to get just to get Mary and Joseph where they needed to, to be. Bethlehem. And I always say God will move the whole world to get you where you need to be. That is amazing. Oh, he's And God didn't just inconvenience the whole world. He inconvenienced Joseph and Mary. Yeah. Mary was pregnant. She was 9 months pregnant about to give yeah. birth. And that's not a time you want to ride on a donkey. Well, we really don't. <clears throat> she rode on a donkey. That's just another legend. She might have walked. She might have rode on. We don't know. Another greeting card. Another greeting card. But we do know the <laughs> Nazareth to Bethlehem, depending on the route that you took, was 70 to 90 miles. Well, if you weren't pregnant, that was a four-day journey. But if you were pregnant, and you have to remember that a pregnant woman, let's say that they were putting Mary on a donkey. All right, here's a nine-month pregnant woman on a donkey, up and down, up and down, 70 to 90 miles. Can you imagine how many times she said, Joseph, I need a bathroom break. And they say that if you add up the journey for a pregnant woman, there's about a 10-day journey. So not only was God willing to inconvenience the whole world to get them where they needed to be, but for them to fulfill God's plan for their life, they had to go through a little inconvenience themselves. And sometimes you have to go through some inconvenient moments to do what you're supposed to do. I'm sure Jesus didn't love hanging on the cross, but that was an inconvenient moment that was required in his faith walk. And sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to do the will of God. You just got to be willing to do it. What if Mary had said, I'm not going, I'm not going to participate. But God knew they would never do that because he chose people that he already had experience with. He knew they would be obedient. Hmm. But there was nothing easy about that trip, nothing. But they came to Bethlehem. Do you know what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. And this explains why Jesus later in John 6, 41 said, are you ready for this? I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus was born in the house of bread. He said that he was the bread that came down from heaven. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was the fulfillment of prophecy and God moved the whole world to get them there. Isn't that amazing, Joel? It's just beautiful. Just wonderful. <laughs> Isn't God amazing? It's amazing. And I just love this story. But... The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, that Mary was great with child when they came to Bethlehem. Great with child means very pregnant or very, very far along in her pregnancy. So far along, she had the baby almost immediately when they got there. It happened when they arrived. And the Bible tells us in Luke 2, 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, there's several things I want you to understand here because we have a lot of religious thinking. The first religious thinking is that Mary and Joseph were poor and they couldn't afford a hotel room. Well, they didn't have hotels like we have hotels today. Hotels were the second floors of big houses 
and everybody was in movement. Many, 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 many people were coming back to Bethlehem. By the time they got there, there were no available spaces left. There was no room in any of the rentable spaces is really what it means. It has nothing to do with their economic status. It just has to do with no occupancy. Any comments? Well, I think there was a lot of people returning back to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was not a big town. So it wouldn't take very much for all the occupancy to be taken. But there were other places to go. For example, all around Bethlehem, and today if you go to Bethlehem, if you're adventuresome and if you can find the nerve and the permission to do it, you'll go and see that there's caves all around Bethlehem. I've been in those caves, and they were caves where shepherds stayed with their sheep. And not just shepherds, but travelers, gypsy-type folks, filled with animals, people playing games. They were very rowdy places at night, which is funny because we call it holy night, silent. silent night. There wasn't anything silent about it at all. Those caves would have been filled with all kinds of travelers who couldn't find a place to stay. And they found a cave. And that cave, again, was identified very, very early on, even before Helen ever came. It had already been identified and written about by Origen and by other church fathers who wrote about the cave where the light was born into the world. So many records about this. Now today when you go to Bethlehem and you visit the cave of the Holy Nativity, it's kind of hard to imagine it because it's so covered with religious ornamentations. But we've been in the other caves all around Bethlehem. It's not hard to imagine at all. It was just a cave. And the cave today is dark because of 2,000 years of burning candles. It's filled with ornamentation. It's kind of hard to imagine that it was ever a cave, but it was just a cave. That's where they went. And the Bible says Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Firstborn means the first, which means there were other children. Now their entire denomination just can't bear the thought that Mary ever had sex. So they say that Mary only had Jesus, and they say that Joseph, all those other children were from a previous marriage. There is nothing, nothing, nothing to tell us that. That is not the truth. He is called firstborn because he was the firstborn, and he was the only one divinely, supernaturally born. But he was the firstborn. After he was born, he had other brothers, other sisters. We've already seen this in Luke chapter 13, verse 55. I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 55 and 56. It gives us the name of his brothers, James, Jude, Joseph, Simeon. James wrote the book of James. Jude wrote the book of Jude. Verse 56 says he had sisters, plural. So it was actually quite a big family, but Jesus was the firstborn. And the Bible says she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes. Well, sweetheart, when I was a child, I loved this part of the story. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Did you like that too? Uh -huh. But I never knew what swaddling clothes were. What are swaddling clothes? You no. swaddle. You swaddle with clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what, what they are. <laughs> swaddling clothes. Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. Remember where he was born? In a cave, filled with animals, filled with shepherds, and shepherds have sheep. Swaddling clothes is a Greek word that describes the bandages or strips of material that were used for wrapping the little legs of newborn lambs, newborn lambs. And there would have been a lot of these bandages in these caves because that's where shepherds stayed. And when Jesus was born in that cave, 
and his mother needed to wrap him in something. She reached for what was available. She did not know that her baby was going to be born in a cave. And in that cave, there were materials used for wrapping little lambs. And that's what she reached for. And she wrapped him in the bandages that normally would be used to wrap the legs of little lambs. And that's why when you do see a picture of Jesus born, laying in a manger, he's all wrapped up real tightly in what looks like bandages. These were the bandages that were used for the legs of little lambs, which means even in Jesus' birth, this was prophetic. When she wrapped him in those bandages, which were used for little lambs, it means his very first appearance was as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Now, what does the word manger mean? Well, I always thought it was some rickety thing that you filled with hay. There's a wooden thing that's rickety and filled with hay and maybe some food and animals do something to eat Even out of it. Even portable that you can kind of fold it up and take it with you. But a manger was a trowel made of stone. The manger was not made of wood. There are so many religious concepts we have that just are not based in reality. The manger was made of stone. And amazingly, when you go down into the cave in Bethlehem, there is a first century manger, a stone trowel that is right there. It could possibly be the very one that Jesus was laid in. It's first century. Tradition says that they ended up in the cave with animals, with travelers. In fact, it's funny. There is one report which was written by an early church father who said that in the caves at that time that you would see travelers that were like shooting the dice, playing games, telling jokes. You could hear animals. You could hear the sounds of people talking and laughing. That's probably what the cave was like that night. Now, I know that destroys our religious ideas because we love to sing, Silent night, holy night. That's a beautiful song. But there wasn't anything silent about that night. Mary and Joseph were in the very, very back of that cave, probably trying to huddle away from the other travelers that were in the room. Isn't that amazing? And right in the midst of all of that, Jesus was born. And today, if you travel around Bethlehem, like I said, there are caves. There are caves. Maxime and I went into one of those caves to film a stand-up for our TV program. It's amazing, isn't it, Max? Absolutely. I feel like we were back in time. And that's the kind of place where Jesus was born. And today, if you go to Bethlehem, you can really go to the Church of the Holy Nativity. The first church built there was built in 326. And then later, the cathedral that is there today was built by Justinian. Justinian is the same one who built Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, which was Constantinople. He also ordered the construction of this church. Did you know that, Max? No, I didn't know that. But people have been going to this site almost for 17, 1800 years. And again, it was identified by Origen and other early church fathers that the light came into the world in a cave in Bethlehem, the earliest, earliest records. Denise? I was just thinking about those shepherds because that was quite a sight for all those angels to appear in the sky. But that's not, that's in the next home group. 
Oh, can't I just say my one thing that you I can't say? <laughs> because God is so awesome. He said to them, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they've never seen angels. They, they are very poor. Shepherds are very poor. And it's a very low profession. And they're all these angels, glory of God. But the angel said, this will be a sign unto you. Hold on. Why those shepherds? Well, I know the reason. Don't tell it because we're going to share it in another home group. Okay. They weren't just any shepherds. Well, anyway, so the, the angel said, this will be a sign of that I'm telling you the truth, that you're not freaking out and seeing all these angels. This is real, and it's going to be a sign to you. You're going to find this little baby wrapped in these swaddling clothes. That's right, but please hold on to that. Hold on to that. Stop. 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 Because we're going to come back to that on Friday. It's going Friday. to be really good. I have to wait a whole day. You have to wait day. until Friday. Okay. But really, it's been good to be with you tonight, and I'm interested to know what have you learned. Would you go online and chat with me? I'm going to read all your comments when I wake up in the morning. I want to see what you thought. And if I have assaulted some religious thinking, well, I didn't intend to assault you. I'm just trying to bring you the truth of what really happened on that night. It's amazing. Christmas, we need to know the whole story. It's so amazing. The greatest story ever told. But sleep well tonight, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.